0: To your friends, listen as much as you can. Numbers are slightly down, which may affect the future of this podcast. So just leave it playing, even if you're not in the room. Love you. (laughs) Now sit back, relax, and enjoy whatever it is you're going to listen to.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who's been attempting to mend his brain, it's Richard Herring! (laughs) Hello! Hello, lovely to see you all, thanks for coming, you're much better than last week's audience, and so on. (laughs) Welcome to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, um... So I was hanging around with the ghost of Captain Tom uh, the other day. (laughs) He he said he'd answer one question about the afterlife. I asked him if ghosts had bum holes. He he said he wasn't going to answer. He wasn't allowed to say. Uh, But but he says he calls it Rahalastapa. So he said... He wasn't allowed to say. Um, I've been... um, The the thing I was going to do last week, that I didn't do. It's not worth doing. But I'm going to do it now anyway. (laughs) Remember last week? Um... (laughs) Been working on some observational comedy. Who remembers COVID there? What's that? Who remembers that? Who remember that? That's a good one. We all wore those masks, didn't we? What was that about? Remember? Gone. Now. It's all gone now, so it's... F- it's all gone now, so it's fine. That was the last week's joke. Um, I've been... <laughs> I've been attempting to cure my... I don't know if I've mentioned it. I've got aphantasia, which is... I've not mentioned it much. It's, um where you can't, um, you can't imagine things in your... I can't, my mind's eye's blind, right? So if I close my eyes and try to imagine anything, I can't, like, literally see it. I can still imagine things. That's why I've, I've got such a long, fruitful career in comedy. <laughs> 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 but I can't see them in my mind's eye. But someone told me a way to cure it, but I tried to do it, and it kind of slightly broke my brain, and I'm, I'm scared to close my eyes now. <laughs> Uh, so don't try and, sort of like psychologists told me, don't try and cure it. There's no cure, don't try and cure it. But you've got to, what, the thing, if you've got aphantasia and want to give it a go, what you're meant to do is close your eyes and like maybe rub your eyes or look at a light and then for the next ten minutes describe everything you can see. And apparently after nine days you can then see things properly. But I did two days and then I started to feel really sick. And then last night, I could, when I closed my eyes at night, I got too scared and had to go and... It's like I've opened the door to another realm, David. I'm not sure. I've seen, like, I saw a cake and it scared me. <laughs> so it kind of works, but uh, is it worth it? Is it worth losing your mind? But now I'm worried I've broken my I literally had a headache for about a day from looking at things. I saw like, so I had some fireworks and stuff. It was quite good. Is that what it's like for you? Just that you can see a firework anytime you want? Yeah, it must be, it must be amazing being normal. Um, oh, I've got to thank the people. Thank you very much to uh, the people who backed uh, this episode of um, Rahalistaba, Rahalistaba. Thank you. <laughs> Commit or don't bother. <laughs> Kevin Franklin, you are a cunt. <laughs> he says, could you call me a cunt, please? <laughs> he asked politely, so I did. Uh, Sparkles, I imagine is some kind of unicorn, uh, said, please visit tangible.gallery I can't tell you what's in there. I haven't looked. (laughs) It's a tangible gallery. You know, that's difficult for me. And uh, it says Paul J. Lev here, but I'm sure it's Paul J. Levy, who's a... a, Unless there's another Paul J. Lev. It's unlikely, isn't it? It's got a double V here, but I'm sure it's Paul J. Levy. Thank you very much. A long-time supporter of the podcast. Didn't say anything. Didn't want anything said to him. He's a prick. That's all I'm going to say about him the prick for supporting me for so long thank you very much my guest this week is probably best known for her role as juliet destiny in nebuck 50 is that what it is no nebula i can't read my own writing in nebula 75 that's why we're all here will you please welcome samira ahmed ladies and gentlemen from <laughs> nebula 75 <laughs> from nebula 75 come in samira ahmed Hi, Samira. Hello. How Hello. are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Good. Um, how was... Is, uh, is this some kind of... Jerry uh, Anderson-style project, Nebula 75? I know you like uh, Space 1999. <laughs> yeah, no, they... Is it um, you or is it a different Samira Ahmed who shares your IMDb page? Well,
2: there, there is a Samira Ahmed who's a young adult novelist. Right. Um, and I sometimes get mail for her, which I forward to her.
0: Right. But there's some acting credits on your IMDb page. There's a very
2: famous them. Egyptian actress who's about 90s, like the Elizabeth Taylor of Egypt, okay. and her name is Samira Ahmed. Okay. Um, but that's not me either.
0: Okay, so you aren't in... You aren't. No, I have to say,
2: I actually did write an email to IMDb to say, could, I'm not actually, I've not actually been in these Egyptian films, so I think it might confuse <laughs> some people.
0: So were you in Nebula 75? Y- yes, I was. Yes, you were. So a... I was not trying to get out of it.
2: They, um, the, the people behind it, they came on Front Row during lockdown yeah. with um, Marina from um, Stingray and... Yes. And they told me they were working on this. Well, they just made the first episode and they put it up on YouTube. And then they said, do you want to be in it? Yeah. And I thought they were just going to put my voice on one of their own puppets, but they made a puppet to look like me. uh, They put my head on Lady Penelope's body, which is very creepy if you think about it. (laughs) (laughs) And they've given me her clothes. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I I showed a photograph to my mother. You know what she said? What? She said she's so lovely, isn't she? And you know, and I realised that my mother actually preferred the puppet me to the real me.
0: I think all mothers would prefer yeah. a, a puppet version of their children <laughs> a, that they can control like, for She's
2: so glamorous.
0: <laughs> thanks, thanks, Mum. Well, it's lovely to have you here. You're a very serious journalist I know, and, sorry, uh, don't expect reader. any jokes. I don't do jokes. So, uh, it's all right, you don't need to... I'll do all the... I'll do the... I'm, <laughs> I'm the lembit bit opic here. I'll do the jokes. <laughs> um, you can just... Uh, Uh, Well, look, there's there's a lot of things to talk to you about. I've just been listening to your fabulous documentary about Mary Whitehouse, which went out on BBC Radio 4, I'm guessing. Yeah. This quite recently?
2: Yeah, it was last... Last sat- Saturday, just before. Right.
0: Okay. So it's um, still available. As, it's as available
2: for a long time, and yeah. you, you can choose not to listen to it, as many people have, <laughs> on principle, which <laughs> I thought was hilarious.
0: Well, it's very, very interesting because I've, I mean, I'm sure most of you remember Mary Whitehouse. Maybe some of the youngsters don't know who Mary Whitehouse is, or just think we're talking about the D- Bedila Newman show of the same name. But she was uh, like, uh, she was sort of Twitter before Twitter existed, uh, in that she was a quite, uh, she was didn't like people doing anything rude and would complain with letters. I mean, I just imagine a world where she had Twitter. She no did wise. more
2: than complain with letters. There's a yeah. great... So I spent um, I spent two and a half months reading her diaries in the Bodleian Library. I found out that they'd been deposited there and I thought I needed a project after my employment tribunal in case I didn't win. And um, then I thought, I'll do it anyway. <laughs> and um, she complained about she didn't just complain, she she rang people up. So very early in the 70s, BBC Two showed, I think they did a sex education film where they actually showed two teachers having sex. And um, and we're gonna show and we're gonna show it to school children. And she thought this was inappropriate.
0: That's, that is inappropriate.
2: <laughs> not least, not least, because the lady wasn't wearing a wedding ring. Okay. And she she. And she rang up the controller of BBC Two. She managed to get put right through to his line. And you know who the controller of BBC Two was in about 1971, 1972? David Attenborough. David Attenborough. And she wrote this really detailed account in her diary about how, and then I told him this, and then I told him that, and he, he, he spluttered, and, and you could tell he was so terrified that I am convinced, and this is my theory from reading the diaries, this my academic research, that that phone call precipitated him abandoning a career as a broadcast executive <laughs> and going back into the jungle where he felt safer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There were two teachers having sex on a... T- I don't remember this and, show.
2: I, so, can I just say, so the thing about the 70s is, people think, oh, Mary, is horrible, but it was really weird, the stuff that was being normalised <laughs> in the 70s, that the idea that you would show quite young children, like, I don't know, maybe 12, right. two adults having sex.
0: And teachers, why don't I get some... Were <laughs> They just selected, I mean, like, really... I used to, you to? i I'm afraid, you're going to have to do it. You're signed up to be teachers.
2: But you know the teachers would be real Exhibition that they'd have volunteered, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs>
0: I want to something that. And like it was that. also
2: a really. Sev- I've actually watched the footage of it because um, right. they, they used it on. Um, it was all right in the 70s. <laughs> right. And it's really horrible. It looks, you know, like the, the way you imagine the 70s when people reconstruct it and it's all like a really horrible nylon duvet cover.
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> but, know, and everything's a bit shabby. Yeah. It's like that.
0: And a very 70s cock.
2: <laughs> I don't remember the cock. <laughs> 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 sort
0: of joy of sex, facial hair. And like the thing, like the seventies, they allowed they allowed really ugly people on TV as well. That's the thing. Like, if it was now, it would be two really fit teachers. And you know, right.
2: I have to say, I don't know quite how, but I knew someone who someone got hold of a spotlight directory yes. from the, the late seventies, and Jesus, you turn the pages, the teeth, the comb <laughs> yeah. you know.
0: It was a better time, and academics were allowed to look, you know, as they are hideous. They were allowed to be hideous, <laughs> and now academics have to be beautiful as well. What's the, think of the ugly people. <laughs> Give us a chance. Just want to be on the telly. Uh, so, it is, but it's, it's, you've sort of got into trouble on both sides, right, with the Mary White House thing, because people have either got upset that you're being fair to her and saying that she wasn't all bad necessarily. I don't think that's completely true, because I think it's, it's a fairly, it, there's some nice things about it, but it's yeah. fairly damning. Or people are just annoyed that you're, that you're daring to criticize Mary White House.
2: Um, yeah, so I got kind of a couple of different kinds of emails. I got a first email about a week before the documentary went out saying, I think this program is disgusting, it shouldn't be made. (laughs) But it was interesting because it was from and I I really, I really understand it was from someone gay who really remembers her homophobia. But I personally think, as someone who also remembers the homophobia of the seventies and eighties, that just to label someone homophobic and not to understand what influence they did have and the idea that someone might have a point in something else and rightly people don't want to listen to what she has to say but she was she was a christian fundamentalist so depending on your point of view you could argue that she was brainwashed and that's why she believed it. as opposed to what happens now which is young people who just you know beat up gay people on the street because they want to Mm. you know and i just think they're all homophobic but I think we can. Sorry, I'm going to be digging another grave for myself. I don't but <laughs> oh, you I can't I just,
0: argue your way out Okay, of this so stuff. I, I,
2: I actually explained the premise of the documentary to someone at the Writers Guild the other day, and she looked at me. She's really well known broadcast. She said, "So you mean a nuanced argument that someone could be right about some things and wrong about other things at the same time? Good luck with that." And <laughs> um, so I did have a lot of people complaining that she, you know it was like someone said it's like saying Hitler was nice to animals. Um, you know, I just think bringing up Hitler is always such an easy shorthand to shut down a thing. But if you don't understand how she had so much success, you can't argue against it. And then I did have some a couple of emails from Christians, one of whom had read my... I wrote a piece for the BBC News website, which is what really caused the fuss, because I basically talked all about how she anticipated all the issues around online harms and digital pornography. And this person had said, you said in your article that, you know, Mary was out of step with modern Britain. You know, it is not... Jesus was not of you know, the modern world, if, 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 you know, we're at the step of modern Britain, then that is right. And, and she just basically, it was like Mary Whitehouse had been reanimated in this email and it yeah. ended with, respond to me, Samira, were the last words <laughs> of the email.
0: But don't you, I mean, I think Mary, Mary Whitehouse in the modern world would be so happy. I, it sort of feels like there's armies of people doing her work, which is to get, like, upset about anyone yeah. who isn't, isn't espousing your point of view. It doesn't necessarily have to be fundamental Christianity, though some of it is. Mm um but you know the, it, we've all become you know there's an army of people who are that judgmental or saying this thing shouldn't be allowed that they haven't listened to because the if you listen to it it's it's saying I, this was wrong that she did this yeah, can i just this. say
2: i it was on pick of the week i'm really proud of it and it, it really is about all the things she got wrong as well as the things she got right yeah. and i interviewed her granddaughter fiona who i have to say is so brilliant and fiona grew up in italy her, her uh, father was the eldest son they moved to italy and so they didn't have a tv so when she came to stay with her grandmother as a child in like the, the late 70s early 80s she was like addicted to television. And her, a, Mary Whitehouse would let her sit in front of the test card for hours waiting for play school to
0: start. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> but that, didn't you do that as well? I used yeah. to. Yeah. I, lo- I was in love with that girl on the test card. Just, <laughs> if, you, if you're watching, if you're listening...
2: She is out there, Give us know. a ring. <laughs> you're married now, Richard. I am married, Those but you know, are Rover.
0: I, di- I said to my wife when we had the... Ma- if the girl from the test card... <laughs> You've got to have a list. I mean, you've got a list, you've got to have a list. Yeah, yeah. You've who's, got a list of five. Who's hers? The girl from the... T- I can't have the girl from the test card on my list as an adult, though. Kind of that's The adult version of the girl yeah. from the test card, <laughs> who I loved when I was also a child, yeah, and she's funny. aged the same as me, so it's fine. Okay.
2: And who's, who's on um, your wife's list?
0: Um, I've got a few, but I think, you know, I... It's,
2: it's, you don't want to tell me who's on your wife's list? But um, my wa- on my
0: wife's list, she oh. likes Sawyer from Lost, but she's basically got that in her husband, right? So... <laughs> Basically the same. So she, if she squints a little bit, um, the, yeah, the, uh, she likes um Amanda Peet. I'm very happy for her to have her on her list. Okay. Do you know Amanda Peet, the actress? Yeah. Yeah. That's on my wife's list. I mean, if that happens, I, she has my blessing. Even if I'm not there to see <laughs> it, just knowing it's going on will be enough I knew for that
2: me. Was gonna, um...
0: Um, but yeah I don't know you know I I'm am too old now for that sort of thing I'm nearly 55 it goes all drops off doesn't it I mean literally for me actually start dropping off. Um, I mean what I found it, it, this is a sort of a bit of a uh, spoiler for the for the documentary but basically Mary Whitehouse's lawyer who who was helping her prosecute all these things where they thought there was indecency towards children and uh, and homosexuality and stuff was it was himself later discovered to be oh, yeah. abusing children. Yeah, so he
2: was, wasn't... I discovered till 2017. But what I pieced together in the diaries, and it's kind of the last ten minutes of the programme, is um, he suddenly pulled out of representing her on the case for the Romans in Britain, which is the big anniversary of this prosecution. And he he, he rang up and he said, oh, you know, I've, I've, my consultant says I'm really ill and I've got some mystery illness. And what had happened was um, some students at Winchester College had finally reported him to the school, that he'd been beating them. Um, under the guise of kind of Christian guidance, they had to bleed for Jesus. And some of these boys were beaten so badly they had to wear nappies. I mean, sorry, it's, it's really, really horrible. But um, the school didn't tell the police. Um, there's a report that you can look it up on the web, just search for Winchester College report, John Smythe, S M Y T H. And they, the headmaster, whose name is John Thorne, signed a gentleman's agreement with him when they got him to sign it. And it said, I will not work with young people again and I'll get some therapy. And then it said, and this letter will be shown to all subsequent headmasters. And that's what they did, and the, the the children who he abused were kind of just told it's all been sorted. And he was told he couldn't visit the school again. No-one told the police. Church of England never reported it, and the Ewan Trust, where this guy was a um, sort of chief executive, never reported it. Um, and two years later, he moved to Zimbabwe and then South Africa, where he set up new camps, and he did it to hundreds more boys. And one, one, they think one boy died as a result. Oh um, and he died a year after he was exposed by Channel 4 News. But she didn't know. And I just think, I honestly think, this is my again my... Theory. If she had found out, I think it would have shaken her, and I think it might have changed a lot of things. It might have changed her faith. It might have, you know, because she believed she was an mission from God.
0: I know, but it's also interesting. I think that when you know that that's often the case, isn't it? That somebody who hiding
2: in plain sight. Yeah, it's it's,
0: you know, so they make a big fuss, and it's like, oh, look over there (laughs) at the Romans. But the big
2: thing is the big thing is that all these institutions. Knew about it, and she really yeah. trusted the men, who despite the fact she often argued with men. She was 18 when women first got the vote, 1928. She's you know older than you realise, um, but she trusted the men who ran these places, and they they all covered up for each other.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's tr- it, as we've discovered subsequently, yeah, yeah. threw through it throughout it, everywhere, but it's it is it's a very fascinating documentary. Sorry, it's, it's a bit darker than you? No, it's all right. No, we no, Look, this this show has all. <laughs> it has so many moves, doesn't it? that's the thing? It can be. It can be serious. I'm going to ask you if ghosts have uh, bum holes in a bit. <laughs> Don't worry.
2: It's fine, it it wouldn't be appropriate
0: answer. in this bit though to ask you. <laughs> would be would. That's why I'm very. I can do either. It's like Channel Four News. Sometimes you do a serious bit and then you go. Oh no! This funny thing happened. Not not so much on Channel Four News. <laughs> you are very serious on there. Um, well, you know, but I, don't you think that though, I think that I think that I think the world's t- I think Mary ha- White Whitehouse would love the modern world. Yeah, she'd
2: love Twitter. God, she'd be on it all the time. Yeah. yeah,
0: and she sort of liked the the attention. It's a like it's 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 a, she, she's yeah, a fascinating it's a fascinating character. I mean, it's I just remember sort of hating that sort of stuff so much. Uh, just the idea, you know, because I was always it was about comedy being censored by people, you know, and as a kid watching having. Having comedians censored i hated and and then, as a comedian, I hated the idea that comedians were being censored, and now that 's you know comedians are almost the Front line of the worst. that People making jokes, they get taken out before any of the people doing the actual stuff they're joking about. It sort of mm. it, it feels like. Which is, I just
2: think it's weird that Twitter's turned everyone into there. You with know, millions of Mary Whitehouses yeah. out there canceling each other. I got accused of being a white supremacist for making a documentary about Mary Whitehouse. That's,
0: I think that makes sense to me, Samira. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you're finally been caught. <laughs> That's it. Hiding in plain sight. That's the thing with you. <laughs> and look but the, your this this journalistic imperative has been within you from a very young age you were like yeah. you one of the first things you did was write to you wrote to news john craven's yeah. Newsround.
2: yeah in the summer they had a show called news round extra and they encouraged you to write in your own reports and i and in this is the days where you didn't know your, your letter was going to be read out so i turned on the tv one day and john craven was reading out my letter and then said to Lucy Marthen, what do you think? And it was about a racist attack that me and my friends experienced in in a playground. Um, And the the most amazing thing was, um, about 10 years ago, I got an email out of the blue from Lucy Marthen, and she said, was it you who sent that letter? I don't know how she'd remembered the name. But it had been really oddly handled. Um, But also, I bumped into John Craven at a foot-and-mouth Ministry of Agriculture news conference when I was a reporter at Channel 4 (laughs) News. And I said to him... I got a News Around News hand badge from you. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like a, a thing.
0: But again, it was sort of weirdly... Ha- you know, it's the BBC have done very badly in so many ways. <laughs> and even though they were trying to be helpful and doing the right thing, it still sort of came out wrong, didn't it? And John Craig, Craven... Oh,
2: well, he just said... He said yeah, they said, um, it is very difficult. I'm sorry about your experience with the English children. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's 1978. Um, <laughs> but it's very hard to stop children being mean to other people. And Lucy, I think the reason Lucy got in touch was, at the time, you know, she was the first Asian woman reporter on the BBC. Um, there was a lot of things she was experiencing. She was very young as well. And she didn't want to draw attention to herself. So she sort of said, well, I think anyone who's different can experience things. And actually, what she wanted to say to me 30 years later was, I should have said, this is outrageous, it was racist, it shouldn't happen. Um, and no one really knew how to handle it. So yeah. I think we are more... About the other thing I should say is, I mean, actually, even before that, um, you used to write compositions. I'm sure you've kept all yours. And all my school compositions in primary school yeah. were about things like being taken hostage by Bard Meinhof right. um, or the Red Brigade. Because I used to watch the news, I used to yeah. turn it into stories.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. I think that is a weird thing, and I, I don't know whether it, we protect our kids a bit more now or not, or whether it's just these things seep through anyway. But. I remember all the kind, yeah, all the sort of it was nasty a really things. Dark time. The um, who was it? Le- the Leslie Whittle, the guy, the guy. There was the the, Panth- the Black Panther or something. He wasn't called that. What was he called the? There was a girl who got who got killed and it was and it was in by a mur- you know was murdered by this guy kidnapped her. What was he called?
2: To know what well, you got, we don't want to talk about more murder. i we just mentioned the Mary one. But it house.
0: that really upset it. Was, it was yeah. this heiress who was kidnapped and then oh, murdered. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and it just really, and I was about six or seven. I think it was quite near where I lived at the time. And it really h- hung heavily on me because, you know, you were just hearing the news. And I guess the kids are sitting in the back of the car when I'm listening to uh, news about the Ukraine at the moment and probably mm. piecing things together, aren't they? Yeah,
2: well, I, you know, when I. I had my first child. I got off the job at Channel Four News just after I'd had the baby, and so I used to watch the news every night on the rest before I started the job, and I used to be giving him his bedtime feed watching the news. and it was 2001, so it was just after the invasion of Afghanistan after 9/ 11. Right. And so there were explosions all the time. And when we took my son for our first like, fireworks party, and he saw, you know what he said, "Look, mummy bombs." Right Because he was so used to seeing explosions on the yeah. news, and that's when I thought it might be. Showing him the wrong stuff.
0: <laughs> or the right stuff if he wants to grow up to be a top journalist like yeah, you. Get them in there early. Send him, send him to a... He's too old now to send him. I can send mine to a war zone. I'll send my four-year-old son. To, that was fucking smarting him up, wasn't it? <laughs> that's what they need, isn't it? That's what the four... When I was four... In the war zones...
1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com um look
0: i want to talk to you about uh, let's go on to a slightly lighter top- topic you are a you're the a celebrity mastermind champion of champions
2: but you did really well not. You I did really well, done, yeah, yeah, but I
0: didn't win. I had I got the highest ever celebrity 30... mastermind score, 34 I think I got, and then I was beaten but within 2 minutes of having the highest ever. I'm so sorry. How many did you get?
2: I got 31.
0: See, you've had a Championed but... <laughs> champion of champions okay, got to tell you my a story. I've got to tell you a story. <laughs> okay, <come> so,
2: um <laughs> after I won, I was running for a bus and the bus helped, like, waited longer than it should have for me. And when I got on, he said, "That's for beating Giles Corran." <laughs> <laughs> By one point.
0: And then champion I'm a House of I, Games champion of champions, so, you know, which I think is better than the Mastermind. <laughs> How'd you get on in House of Games? I
2: managed to win the fondue set.
0: Okay, I've got the fondue set. Yeah. When they sent me the fondue set, it didn't have Richard Osman's face. not have a. Li- oh, mine had
2: the face, but didn't have a lid.
0: Oh. Maybe you and I should get together <laughs> and make one good fondue set. And he lost loads of my pride. When I went on to the champion champions, I had to get the doll a second time because the, well, the doll hadn't turned up the first time because he knew what I was going to do with it. That's why, he didn't, that's why he didn't send it to me the first time. Champion, I'm a champion of champions. You are a champion No one of can champions. take that away from me. I wish I was a celebrity mastermind champion of champions. Uh, what other whatever quizzes have you done? Have you done them all?
2: I'm, I've done um, Pointless, but I don't yeah. think it's been broadcast yet. Okay. But I'll leave you to guess how much.
0: You definitely away. won <laughs> you definitely won the jackpot. What You're a little swot. <laughs> <laughs> um, pathetic. What a pathetic Master Chef.
2: I didn't win that. I was really conflicted. No. I didn't want to do it. So no. my mother is a really good cook, not just a really good cook, but before Madame Jeffrey, she was the first woman to cook on british television like indian food she wasn't Fanny craddock or anything like that but um she used to do the cookery on pebble mill at one and wow. she had two little bbc books and in fact the weird thing about the mary whitehouse doc is i've had these all these emails from men saying i learnt to cook from your mother's pebble mill cookbooks i don't know what triggered the memory but she used to come home and you know she'd be cooking for people like sasha distel and all you know the kind of cool <laughs> stars in the 70s circuit so she's still an amazing cook yeah and so why would I compete with that? And, of course, everyone, who, everyone else on it was like they were soap stars and people who, for whom it was like a strategic career move. And I don't know quite why I'd done it. I think I'd just gone freelance from Channel 4 News, so my agent said, you yeah, know, it would be fun. And I, I just... I'm of that generation. The idea of being judged on my cooking as if that makes me a better person <laughs> is not something that seems natural to me. No.
0: So, so you didn't win, is all you're saying. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, got, I It's got pathetic through, I when got people
0: can't the... take losing, isn't it? Pathetic. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm technically a quarter finalist, though. Okay, that's pretty. And then cool. you found out who you had to cook for.
0: I would. I wouldn't do. I wouldn't be able to do MasterChef. No, you wouldn't want to do MasterChef. Well, I couldn't yeah. do it. I could make. Um, I could make a cheese toasty. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah.
2: Well, you know nowadays they all they obviously have. Um, sort of they hire people to teach them. So the the, <laughs> the year that I did it was it Ryland. He did. He he did a a gourmet version of a happy meal. Right. And there's no one telling me that that was. It. Sorry. Okay. I'm gonna lie by myself. That was that his idea or did someone? I mean, it's a brilliant idea. Yeah. You know, and he cooked it all from scratch and deep fried the kind of special chips. It was like a really luxury version of a of a happy meal. Mm-hmm. But that's the kind of gimmick thing that you need to do to win. Whereas I just thought I I didn't care what it looks like. It does it taste good? And they're really big on presentation. And then the food is all cold by the time they taste it anyway because it takes so long.
0: Right. Yeah. Presentation is not my skill set. I have to say.
2: Yeah, and also my inspiration was, you know, um, Simone de Beauvoir, you know, she and Jean yeah. Sartre had this amazing relationship. And during the war, she used to cook for him occasionally. I think she felt quite conflicted too. And because, you know, in, in the, during the war, it was quite hard to get fresh meat, she did eventually get she got sent some meat by a relative in the countryside, but it was rotting. So she cut off all the rotting bits and then sort of cooked it, and then realised it wasn't very nice. And she got a tin of mushroom soup and poured it over the top. And she wrote about all this in her diaries. If you read, um, you know, The Prime of Life or whatever, there's this really you know, laboured account of her trying to cook a nice meal for Jean-Paul. And you just say, what's the point? You're an existentialist, you know? <laughs> so
0: It's gone classy this week, is not it?
2: has
0: uh, <laughs> gone pretty classy. I'll be on Channel 4 soon, don't worry. I'm going to replace Channel 4 News with this what's gonna happen um let's talk about your this is this is incredibly bold and brave i mean you are very you're a very brave person in any case i think and very uh confident and and believe in yourself in a way that everybody should but do you the equal pay thing with the bbc was quite a a big deal right you you were presenting like not something like Points of View, but it was on the radio, right? It was
2: no, it's, I saw it was it's called Newswatch, okay. and it's on BBC One, and it has twice okay. the audience of Points of View. OK, um, sorry, I beg your pardon. 1.8 million on Saturday mornings on BBC One. And, um, yeah, basically, you know, you know, thanks to... You know you may not I want to think about? Theresa May um, made companies have to publish their um, gender pay gap and stuff, and the BBC also got compelled to publish its top earners. And so all of us, like, we're investigative journalists, so you looked at the list and you looked who was on it. <laughs> And I, and I remember seeing Jeremy Vine right at the top of all the news presenters on. And I thought, is Points of View actually still on? <laughs> and I realised it was. And then I just thought, I think there's a case here. And so it took me a while before I found out. And, you know, I have to say, Jeremy was such a gent. He told me when I asked him. It took right. a while, but he did tell me what he was on. Um, which made it easier because there's no obligation for employers to tell you until you get to tribunal. And in that time, you're racking up legal bills and they can offer you a settlement. And if you don't accept it and you don't win, then that can be held against you. So, you know, there's a lot of risk. Um, but I just treated it like a story. And I just thought, I'm going to find out what's going on here. And um, I just knew that I, had, I, wasn't, I wasn't being told the truth. And they were never giving me a pay rise and all that. And also, the biggest thing... I was in a union, you've got to join a union. So the NUJ backed my case. Yeah. And had amazing lawyers and they took it on. And so the thing is I you say I was brave I wasn't, because I didn't have to take the cost. The only thing I mean, admittedly I could have lost my job if it Well, hadn't but also, out, you though.
0: know, to like <laughs> to take your employee <laughs> employer to to court is is quite a risk. Right. So the BBC could say, Oh, you've won well done. Oh no, there aren't we haven't got any more uh, jobs left now. Sorry, they're mm. all f- well, oh,
2: I, did, I did. I, I mean, I I mean, practical. they get into trouble for that, probably. Oh. Um, well, one of the things I did before um, I t- took the tribunal was I arranged to get put onto staff for watch. Right. So um, that that was, you know, you just you just work out what are your options and yeah. you plan things. And uh,
0: how much more was Jeremy Vine getting paid than you were?
2: Um, well, I was only four hundred and forty, and he was getting per program. He was getting three thousand. Right.
0: It's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> You're getting paid more than... you get For doing this show, you get paid more than you get paid for doing that show. So that's pretty good, given this isn't on TV. And you get the same as the boys. Yeah, because I'm tight. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone gets the same. Nothing. They get a mug. You got that mug, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So shut up. Don't take me to court. <laughs> and so you... you the, the BBC lawyers were pretty bad, I've heard. And, you, and your boys are very good, and you easily won. That's what I heard. It's,
2: it's true, actually. Yeah. I had an amazing lawyer. Yeah. She was like Erin Brockovich. She was just amazing. <laughs> and Claire Darwin. And really has
0: it was. changed? Is it, has it then made material change to the BBC, that decision, or is it still a... That's initial? a good
2: question. Well, um, they think 700 women got offered pay rises as a result of my case. Right. Um, so I think... APPLAUSE <laughs>
0: I don't like to use this word anymore, but it's ballsy. That's what I, I say. It's ballsy. She's got ovaries. That's what you mean. to Yeah, me? exactly. Um, and look, you've interviewed. Like, I'm so jealous of the people you've interviewed. It's absolutely insane in your in your long career. Um, uh, you've interviewed Paul McCartney, who's I've been trying to get on this show for a long time. <laughs> See, he doesn't seem that interested. I'm sure.
2: I'm sure he'd love to come on and discuss this Bell movie. <laughs> we'd
0: have a good time. <laughs> He's already talked about wanking in a room with John Lennon. and I haven't even talked to him yet. that's, that's <laughs> imagine once I've talked to him, what we're going to get out of him. Is he nearly 80 years? Is he coming be, up to 80? He's going to be 80 in June. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. So you've talked when, when you've interviewed him quite recently, right? Yeah, November. Wow. Okay. How was he? Was he it nice? He was
2: absolutely brilliant. It was exactly. <laughs> just imagine what it'd be like to meet. Tom Car- he was lovely. He was yeah. really charming, very generous. All his, his his daughters were there. His grandchildren were there. There was a dinner. Play the piano. Lady Madonna.
0: Pretty good. <coughs> we, we'll get him on. We'll get him on. We'll get, it's going to be a secret and I'm not going to tell you he's on and if you don't come and watch it, you won't see it. So you've got to buy tickets to every single... Maybe he's going to be the guest at the end of this series.
2: I'd like to... I'd like, I'd who's... Like the, who's
0: Ringo. I'd like to interview Ringo. Ringo? Yeah. That's got to be, you've got to be able to get Ringo. That's <laughs> quite, that can't be hard. I haven't even thought about asking him. I got you before I got fucking Ringo. <laughs> what would you ask Ringo? Like, you've got to give me some tips on how to... Is that What am I doing wrong here? How, what, would you, what would you ask Ringo Starr about? You're a big Beatles fan, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, what would you ask Ringo about? I would ask him
2: about the time he crashed his car in my house and made me late for school. Did he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: He crashed his car kind of into your house.
2: <laughs> no, it was a couple of miles away. Oh, okay. he, him and Barbara Bach, it was a Mercedes. We all knew it was a Mercedes. My right. parents were interested in that fact. And he crashed it into the Robin Hood roundabout on the A3. Okay. And all the roads were blocked. And it was really weird how everyone knew within an hour <laughs> that it was a Mercedes. But, um, but, you know, obviously it was when he was drinking. And I think they went into rehab, so it might have been a moment that changed his life for the right. better.
0: Probably doesn't want you to bring that up. <laughs> because, um, I'm, very, I'm very tactful with my guests. I, would, I wouldn't bring that up.
2: I've interviewed people about their near fatal car accidents.
0: I would too. Yeah, I'd absolutely talk you about would, that. Yeah. I, would, I asked people all the wrong things, so there would be it would be who's your what's your favourite what's the favourite people you've interviewed? I see you've got you told me you've got Sooty coming up. You haven't interviewed yeah, so, Sooty yet. Yeah.
2: So the great thing is on front row, um, since it's gone to forty five minutes. Tom Sutcliffe and I are the main presenters now, and um, we've been encouraged to sort of you know express our interests. <clears throat> And I noticed that Sooty and friends were doing, uh, just starting a tour. And I, I just thought, we should get Sooty on Front Row. <laughs> and we are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but only Sooty, the one that can't talk.
2: <laughs> no, no, I think we might, we might have to have Sue. Yeah. And uh, Richard Cadell might make an appearance.
0: Okay who's doing it now what's his name it's Richard Cadell Richard so Cadell. basically
2: I found out that there were tickets on sale I booked my tickets to see Sooty at the Epsom Playhouse a year ago <laughs> um, and then I pitched it to Front Row as well so.
0: when have you, have, you seen, have you watched that show yet or is it still, it's still yet to come
2: it's yet to come when they're
0: doing a, a live show of Sooty is he just still that big or do they do, do they bring a big <laughs> does he come does he come out life size or is it just you're watching just, a it's, bloke it's like here he's still
2: a puppet he's <laughs> <laughs> still a puppet yeah. But I love the fact that I grew up with City, yeah. and my children grew up with City because yeah. my children were born in 1999, 2001,
0: and yeah, yeah you right. wait till the news comes out about him. The next generation <laughs> aren't going to be, <laughs> and they find out what City was up to. That's why didn't
2: you raise your children to watch lots of seventies TV? Because I used to have lots of we watched a lot of the goodies. Yeah, and um, my daughter when she went to Brownies, they had to draw like pictures of their favourite shows. She drew a picture of the Goodies. Oh wow! Yeah. And she actually thought that Bill Oddy's real name was Ecky Thump.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's good, you know, The Goodies are a great show. You're into uh, so Little House on the Prairie, but is that more the books than the TV show? Yeah,
2: I only read the books um, in my 30s, actually, right. after the, um, the, you know, the the big crash. A lot of Americans started reading this books, which had been written in the Great Depression, and they were kind of nostalgic about you know the old pioneer days. They're actually quite dark. Yeah. They, are, they turn into kind of Grapes of Wrath by the last one. And um, and I just read them, and I realised they were brilliant, and I made a documentary, I went to the, the farmhouse where she wrote them in her 60s. And it was my... Sorry, I hate to bring it up again, but it was my first, my first subject on Celebrity Mastermind.
0: Well, if I'd done that, I would have easily got more points if I'd done Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. It's in the same language as you speak. I did Rasputin, and I had to learn stuff in Russian. I can't even speak Russian, so I'm the best. LAUGHTER um, <laughs> You've got two
2: trophies,
0: though. But you've got the trophies, yeah? Yeah, I've
2: got two Mastermind yeah, trophies.
0: I know. Yeah. Well, give me one. <laughs> I should be in Champion of Champions. That's ridiculous. I'm not allowed in Champion of Champions. I'm the third highest scoring person. Have in you Champions.
2: had this argument?
0: No. I don't want to do it again. I really. I actually still have, have dr- nightmares about it sometimes, still. I, don't know, I had a dream when I was on Celebrity Mastermind, and the, the walk to the black chair was, made, was just full of mud. <laughs> and I had to walk through this mud to get to the chair. That's how, and that was it. Was really scary. I Did not find it terrifying. No, no. So
2: the thing about journalists is we're used to sitting. If it was your TV shows, you're a TV journalist, used to yeah. sitting, you know, in a in a room with cameras staring at you and yeah. having to just, you know, I mean, not usually people barking questions
0: at you, but no. it's
2: kind of my idea of fun is people uh. shouting questions at me and I know all the answers.
0: Yeah, not all the answers. You only got thirty-one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's all that I needed.
0: But you know, you're a journalist. You've probably been in war zones and stuff. So probably walking to a chair is not. That hard, <laughs> Rich. Yeah, that's probably that's probably true. Um, space. What's the fascination with Space Nineteen Ninety Nine? Is it all of the Jerry Anderson stuff? Is it that something?
2: one in particular? Because it, I was seven when it started, and it was my show, and it was very dark. You know, like there was lots of creepy endings where people would wake up in suspended animation and realize that there was seventy years of space travel, and they were going to die inside a glass box, and you'd be watching that at eleven thirty on a Saturday morning with man hammering, <laughs> going, "Let me out!" So there was a, sort of a genuine horror element to it. Um, and I actually got to interview a lot of the actors from it who were still around because I wrote a feature for it uh, about it. So the main thing I do, I mean, the great thing about my job is I, I basically seek out all the cult TV I loved as a kid and then just go and interview yeah. people who were on it. And But I did like... The other one I really liked, and it was very formative, was um, I had an older brother. He used to watch Captain Scarlet. And in yeah. Captain Scarlet, they had those angels who flew jets. And one of the earliest dreams I remember waking up, and I'd, I'd, I'd dreamt that I was one of the angels and I was fighter pilot... And I woke up and I wasn't. And that was so sad. You, can't, I, you still can be Samir. No, I can can't. Happen. It's you too can. late. I, really, it I wanted my daughter to become a fighter pilot. And then she changed her mind. <laughs> but like, I actually arranged for her to meet you know, pilots and things. Yeah. And whenever I, you know, I found myself talking to someone from the military, it was like, can I arrange my daughter to fly a helicopter with you, please? Or something. But she's decided she doesn't want to be a fighter pilot. But that's Juliet Destiny Nobula Nebula 75. is named Destiny after Destiny Angel. And Juliet oh, was course. her name.
0: I loved Captain Scarlet. That's one of my earliest memories. And Joe 90, those are my two favourite shows as a kid. I, I loved Captain Scarlet. Did you
2: have a crush on um, Marina? In, and, um...
0: On Joe 90. I had a crush on <laughs> Joe 90. <laughs> on and Marina the...
2: and Stingray. Because I definitely, I definitely <laughs> and quite And the girl from the test um... card. It
0: was fine. The, yeah. I was a kid as well. It's fine.
2: But the puppets were kind of grown up. I mean, the puppets and Thunderbirds were quite handsome.
0: yeah. I liked... Um, I did... Aquamarina was nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Lady Penelope was all right, wasn't he? And uh, Parker. Wouldn't mind a bit of that? He's still around. Big nose. He's still around? The yeah, puppet? Yeah, the actor. Yeah, okay. The
2: actor. You're
0: the puppy, you I've in, your puppets. I've
2: interviewed the real Parker. Yeah,
0: Parker's still around. But he isn't like... Was he was was he young when he was being Parker then?
2: Well, he's... I don't know. He's. Yeah, he's about 50, 40. Right. 60 years ago.
0: 60 years ago? So he's 100 years old? <laughs> okay, I don't know. <laughs> He's in his 90s. Just ask him. Samir Ahmed, if you were, went into a uh, chrysalis. Oh, no. Yeah, and you melted thought, down well, like I a caterpillar, thought... or could come back as anything in the world. Okay. Could be you, could be someone else, could be anything. Could be an object, could be an animal, could be you with improvements. What would you like to. Okay, I actually thought Kate? about
2: this when you asked it earlier, and, and this is the Last first one that's going to my head, and I don't think it's very useful. <laughs> was. Inner eyelids like Mr. Spock in Star Trek. I don't know quite why, but they might be useful for
0: blocking. So, what? what, Take take me through the inner eyelids where you've got two eyelids.
2: So, you have two sets of eyelids. So, you you know, um, you could avoid eye damage from an eclipse or something. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's a lot, it's a waste of a fucking chrysalis, Samir. Get some sunglasses. (laughs) Look at a you reflection the first on a thing piece of paper. That
2: was the first thing I thought of. I don't know what you'd I like. Just some oh, actually, extra. I I would like. I would like some real wings, like Maleficent.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: See, look, I heard some people like that answer. Yeah, it's that's, it's they
0: were they were getting a little bit turned on by that idea. of <laughs> you being like a winged creature from Maleficent, that's good. And can you, as a journalist, can you answer? This is a question from my son, which you may have missed in, in last week's show. Uh, do ghosts have bum holes? Have you been? Have you managed to do ghosts? Have bum holes. I don't know if you've understood yeah, I think the question. They do. You think they do? Yeah. Yeah. Well that's I don't think I have to ask anyone else. So you're a celebrity i I'll go to my son and say, yeah, they do. What do you, do you think? they use them still or they're just there Yeah,
2: for ectoplasm.
0: Yeah. I see I think ectoplasm comes out of the genitals.
2: Oh you've had this conversation already, haven't you? No well I've
0: <laughs> with somebody I've thought it through. Yeah. I haven't had I would say ectoplasm is a, a sticky subject. You no, know, it's not like a pooey subject. It's awesome. No, 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 no. we're like, not going to talk it about it. It comes from a... I can talk about it. You don't have to talk about <laughs> it. You brought up ectoplasm.
2: It's just trying to answer the question. <laughs> it's
0: it's my, I'll come in with another one from my son. Um, uh, and uh, yes, if, and this is another emergency question I want to ask you. This is a high brow emergency question. Okay. So you're fine. If all the art galleries and museums in the world got together and said, we love Samir Ahmed, and she stood up for equal pay rights, and she did that thing about Mary Whitehouse, some of us didn't like it, but (laughs) others did. Some of us thought it was good. We would like to give her her one uh, piece of art or artefact from any museum or art gallery in the world what would you choose as your prize from all the existing art? And...
2: The portrait of Christina of Denmark, painted by Hans Holbein in the National Gallery.
0: Wow, you were right ready for that one. Um, <laughs> you know who she was? No.
2: She was a prospective bride for Henry VIII, so she's the one that got away. Oh, wow. And she was already, I think, widowed, so the portrait's in black. You'll recognise it. Yeah. She's dressed all in black. It's, it's a blue background. She's got a bonnet on. But there's all these little subtle details, like between the texture of the velvet and the, the silk and the gloves and the red ring okay. it's a it's a portrait that intrigues a lot of people and i saw it when i was about 10 on a school trip and i was just fascinated by like it's a whole you know subjunctive history what if yeah. if she'd married which
0: her. whereabouts would she have come in the uh... um
2: after um possibly around the anna uh, after jane at uh, jane seymour i think okay. that kind of time
0: can't remember which one she was she's in <laughs>
2: number Doctor three Queen,
0: medicine woman
2: N- <laughs> oh can i say so you know jane seymour the actress yeah She's amazing. She went to my school. Oh, did she? Yeah, and what like, you know, my school—they talk about their alumni and stuff. And they named the theatre. They named the theatre after Margaret Rutherford, whose family actually—they all ran off to the circus after a couple of terms. They didn't even stay. She never <laughs> did a complete year. But they had Jane Seymour, who was a Bond girl yeah. at like what nineteen, and they didn't name the theatre after her. And you know, Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman—they covered all kinds of interesting themes. Yeah, I love her
0: very good i've got an emergency question about did anyone famous go to your school it sounds like no did anyone not famous go to your school
2: well those are the two i mean i only found out about jane seymour last year and i think that's crazy that i did not know that
0: yeah yeah
2: like if you had a bond girl go to your school would you not think you would want to know that definitely yeah I've got a story about another Bond girl. Go on. So I used to live near Caroline Monroe, who was in... Um, she was also a Hammer Horror Girl. He was in um, Spy Who Loved Me. And the thing about her was, as a child... Um, you know, we talked earlier about how the 70s was sort of... There was a huge amount of sort of very sexualized advertising and culture. And she was the Nam- Lamb's Navy rum girl. And so you'd see her unzipping her catsuit and getting into a helicopter with a load of sailors. And I just felt like, this is really not safe. This feels really <laughs> inappropriate. And being quite intimidated by that... Um, and then, you know, 20 years later, um, I was living in Marylebone and she, she lived nearby and she had a daughter at the local school and, you know, she was in her, I don't know, 40s. She was a middle-aged mum. She'd not had any surgery, but she was still unmistakably Caroline Monroe with these beautiful smoky eyes. And men used to see her on the street and stop her and they'd be all starry-eyed and then ask for her autograph. And she was just this mum going to the supermarket and picking her daughter up from school. And I just loved the fact that she had a, she's had a really successful career. Um, she's one of the most beautiful women ever. And she's, she used to have come, and I've, I just had this whole thing that some, for some women, the seventies was just fine. And you know, I think she had a good time. Yeah, I, I really like her.
0: <laughs> it's good someone had a good time in the seventies. <laughs> um, uh, when you were telling me as well, uh, you interviewed, was it? Did uh, Debbie Harry and Chrissy Hines? Yeah. Oh, Chrissy
2: did... Hines showed me how to pout. Right. I couldn't do it very well, but she said she's she's so. You know, you think Chrissy Hines is going to be really scary?
0: Yeah. She's not. She is. What happened? I've, I, Chrissy Hine came to my New Year's Eve party about Ooh. 15 years ago and wasn't invited. <laughs> and Whose like, house did she think it was? Uh, she was looking for it, it was like quarter to midnight. I can't remember what year it was, but it would have been All like right. early 2000s. And um, I was standing in my kitchen, there was a party going on. We were waiting for it, and then uh, this woman walked towards that woman, looks quite like Chrissy Hine. And it was Chrissy Hine. And I went, What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and she just ignored me and walked past and went went round a circle and walked out. She was with Beth Orton as well. Was there, there as well? I didn't know who that was, but she's pretty, she's a big deal as well. Uh, and they they were looking for a house with a fountain in it, and we didn't have a fountain, so they just left. So it wasn't you? So oh. she's, like, she's scary and horrible. Go and tell oh. me why she's nice.
2: Because she was just really down to earth and accessible. And then when we did photos, she was up for doing photo and she said, we should do one where, you know, you pout like a pop star and she puts on that sultry look. <laughs> and I just thought she, you know, really self-deprecating about the whole thing about being a sexy woman in pop. She didn't take it seriously. And I think so, if you watch old, all the old Kenny Everett TV shows, um, and I worked through the whole box set I interviewed Barry Cryer about it a couple of years ago, and she, you know, she, when they were performing, he would come on as Sid Snot, and they'd all be performing with him. It was just that sense of having fun about punk and new wave, even when it was happening. Yeah, you know, I like her.
0: And what about Debbie Harry, who was uh, was, surpri- was surprisingly she's surprisingly old. She was like in her late thirties when the Blondie were. So yeah, hit, I, I wrote
2: she? I wrote a whole. Um, essay for the new humanist magazine about the elder stateswomen of rock yeah and the thing about chrissy hind and debbie harry and oh, they're all actually the same generation as angela merkel so i did this whole comparison <laughs> um, but the thing about um, debbie harry was she was already in her 30s <clears throat> when when blondie formed so it was almost like an art project you know she was part of that andy warhol art scene <clears throat> sorry i've got a bit of a Let's hope it's not COVID. <laughs> no, I did I did get ne- negative lateral photos this morning for what it's worth. Um, but she was already in her 30s, and so it was a bit of a construct. And even Blondie, the name was like you know, she worked in a beauty salon and they dyed her hair blonde. So it was all, she was very self aware about right. playing the idea. So it was a kind of drag. Being Blondie was a kind of drag for Debbie Harry. And too many people don't get that, you know. So she's just wonderful as well. And she signed my copy Parallel Line. So I have to confess, I have a lot of. Like, we have certain... We might notice we're doing one of all pop stars on on Front Row. I had Tears for Fears on the other week. I just brought my record.
0: The <laughs> I mean, it's pretty nice. You know, I, I, I would... There's lots of people I'd like to interview that is, having a podcast isn't quite as good as working for the BBC in those terms of going, come on my podcast, Tears for Fears. Do you think they'd come on here?
2: If you're going to ask the oh. questions about bumholes... Well,
0: and... I would, but that's how you get to know people, isn't it? We learned a lot about you with the Chris, Chrysalis question, didn't we, about your... One in two pairs of eyelids. We'd never have found that out. You'd never have found that out if you were interviewing yourself. <laughs> uh, and I was interested. You did, you did, was this a documentary? You did all um, about David Bowie and yeah. him being like uh, having a special popularity with Asian women. Asian
2: girls, yeah. So again, it's early seventies was kind of pretty racist time. And there's something amazing about David Bowie deliberately choosing to to imply that he might be gay and you know to dress provocatively and um i was you know he was a pop star genuinely terrified me at the same time as i loved his music so there are not many pop stars you can say that for um and my mother decided at one point that she decided she did like him she called me into the living room once he was being interviewed without makeup and she said oh look it's david bowie without that makeup he's so handsome And he's so polite. And he just thought, (laughs) I think she thinks he can be a really good son-in-law. Arranged marriage, yeah. And I just thought, I just remembered that moment. You know, the sense that, again, he was an educated... A bit like all these other pop stars. It's an act. you know, And it's thought through and there's a motivation and all
0: that. Well, in the Mary Whitehouse documentary, you have the little clip of the sweet... And the, the the suite had really upset. Uh, yeah, some, have, you not, have you have
2: you ever watched the suite performing Teenage Rampage on Crackerjack in front of a bunch of <laughs> eight year olds? Because um, I actually went. To, you know, they do Missing Believed White at the BFI, and they they rediscovered this episode, and um, a load of the suite were there. It was really sweet watching it, and. They had been told they had to do this, and they didn't want to. Because, you know, it's a kids' programme, and it literally yeah. was eight-year-olds with their Cub Scout uniforms and everything. But they thought, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it properly. So if you imagine them coming on and you know, in their leather and you know, waving the, the mics around and, and calling on you know, for a teenage revolution. Yeah. And you could see why Mary Whitehouse's National Vala vloggers... You know, basically, they would vlog things at home, and they'd write down the lyrics, and they'd describe how they were being pulled with clenched fists, and they were very concerned that it might incite... Bad feelings among young people.
0: Yeah, well, it did. It got black. I was. I would. I like really. I was. Brian Connolly was one of the first people I fancied. Not Brian Connolly. Brian Connolly, <laughs> who's the half brother of Taggart. Is that right? Did not know that. Um, and they both died of drinking too much, didn't they? Um, <laughs> uh, but so yeah. And they, and they had that other guy dressed. The the other guy was it. Ste- the, should know more because they're, ne- they're name checked, aren't they? That's my the fact. My favourite in- intro to any song. You ready, Steve? All that stuff. That's yeah. the... Anyway, remember the sweet. Who remembers the sweet? Yeah, it's not yeah. a good one because everyone remembers it. What was I going to? There was something amazing. Oh yeah, look, you're going to. So you're going to interview Margaret Atwood. Yeah. Which I'd really like to interview Margaret Atwood, but I can't because I said some stuff about her on another podcast. You... Oh, okay,
2: don't, don't get me. Uh, but
0: you, me. you can ask her about it. She's got a. <laughs> She's g- she can sign autographs like remotely. Mm. She's got a magic yeah, pen. Yeah, I've spoken to her about that before. Yeah. yeah. I have you. Yeah, yeah. I, I was wondering what else she could do with that that, <laughs> that, that technology. And now I can't talk. And she's my absolute favorite author, but I'd love to have her on, but I, I, it's, she might find out. And then when I did that, someone who was like her brother in law or something said, Oh, I heard that. I can tell, I can ask Margaret about it. I said, Please don't ask Margaret about <laughs> <laughs> whether she used wanks off people with her remote with their remote You know, funnily pen. enough, I don't think I'm going to ask this. Give it a go. I mean, now I've got it in your seeded in you? If I could hypnotise you. <laughs> Have you ever thought... Of this? She'd be you up for it. She'd come, find that why funny. Why don't
2: you come to the Royal Festival Hall next Thursday and ask it? We've I'm probably going, got audience these Q&A. The,
0: yeah, I could put my hand up. I'm going to. All right, I'll do that. <laughs> Gentleman te- over there. I'll tell you what, I'll do that and I'll bring you a tape recorder and then I'll just make that an episode. It'll be me asking <laughs> that one question. My gab, we're just tearing Um... <laughs> <laughs> um well look um I'm, what else do i want to talk to you about look i your most i want to talk to you about your most embarrassing before we go i want to talk to you about your most embarrassing time as a journalist you've said this in three uh, different interviews so i know that you how, know what three? It, i've seen it you three it came up research? three times yeah, i've really it's re- about the radio car deep yeah it is so tell it's us really about. Horrible. The... Okay. It isn't horrible.
2: Well, it's just it's really embarrassing. So... Yeah, good. That's why I'm. T- oh. I want you to tell it. Okay. So it was 1992. Um, I had I was on a three month contract as a radio network news reporter. So reporting on all the radio national radio news bulletins. And it was when the IRA was still bombing um, um, around um, Britain, and um, a bomb went off at Whitehall, and I got sent to find out what was going on. I was a duty reporter. So it's a bit like being on a taxi rank and you're the last taxi left in the office. So it's go down. Um, And I went down. And in those days, you didn't have mobile phones and you didn't have, like, you know, you had to to have a vehicle that parked and it put a mast up. um, And the mast had to be within visual sight range of either Alexandra Palace or Crystal Palace Transmitter. Right. So so it had to be a certain place. So I went down with the radio car and we parked it um, on the embankment. I knew exactly where it was. And then I went off to find the police and, you know, interview everyone. And, and then I went back to file my report in the radio car. And it was not there anymore. And, you know, and I, I know where it... Like, it had moved. And, of course, I didn't know. And it turned out they said, well, we moved closer because the cordon had moved. By the time I found it, it was 10 to midnight. And I was supposed to file for the midnight bulletins. And I hadn't written anything, and I was freaking out. So I tried to ad-lib my script. And although I wasn't going on air live... They have this thing called traffic, where everyone in the whole BBC and all the regional newsrooms can hear reporters filing from all over the world. So it's like Samira Ahmed filing for midnight bulletins and reels, and you could hear me just sort of stuttering and stumbling and losing my way. And then the the kind of duty manager, the what is he called, the head of um, Home Traffic, came on and said, "I think we might just use June Kelly's report for Radio too.." Oh. And, you know, it's like, and everyone had heard it. And the next day I came to the office and my um, boss said, you know, you're going to have to win people's confidence back oh. after that. And I was so convinced that they wouldn't renew my contract So I was halfway through a three-month contract um, that I got myself another job. Um, and then they... They come and said we're going to renew your contract. And I went, oh, I've... and I, I actually had got myself a job. They started out World Service Television, and I managed to get myself a job as a news anchor on that. So I did that. Instead. Right. <laughs> but I did go back to being a reporter because being a reporter was what I really loved. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it was awful, and it was kind of thing that did give me nightmares. You know, imagine losing a whole vehicle and like well, it's how like, was I it's, like to move? A night-
0: it's like a nightmare. That's the sort of nightmare you have. It's not you know, I'm sure as a journalist, that's the journalist version yeah. of the actor's nightmare, where you're where you you know you have to go on stage without a script or in the, if it's actually happening
2: yeah and of course now you know i would be much i'd be much quicker at being able to devise a script and you know you know i wouldn't quite say ad lib it but i would have been able to turn around a script in a couple of minutes yeah. because you've been doing it for so many years
0: and so if you're doing that yeah. If you're, something's just happened and you've got a report on it, and you write a script and then you just have learnt it as you've no, written well, or you, are you, are you it, I mean, or you're
2: allowed to read it. You're reading it oh, down the line. because it's a radio. You know, so if, you, if you turn on the radio news, yeah. you know, they say you know, so-and-so reports from the scene, and then you give them a 40-second or a 1-minute 30-package or whatever, but you've, you basically have... It's a pre-recorded bit of track, yeah. um, and it's turned around and played as a clip. So it's different to being live at the scene. I mean, I could have done that if they'd asked me, but they didn't ask me that. <laughs> um, but no, it was, you live and learn.
0: And you were in LA during the O.J. Simpson yeah. stuff? Yeah, oh, I
2: had some good stories, though, so I did that case. I Also, Madonna had her baby, and her baby was delivered by, do you remember Heidi Fleiss, who was quite famous Hollywood madam? Yes. Heidi Fleiss's dad was Madonna's uh, obstetrician. <laughs> right. It's just one of those random facts you put into a bulletin about a baby being delivered by... Uh, but the the thing that I remember really well is, um, I did, I'm not saying I met Madonna, but Madonna had a stalker. And, you know, we take stalking much more seriously now. But um, the laws came from California where actors did get murdered sometimes by by stalkers. And this man broke into our house. And, um, he, you know, he, he, he must have loved it because she was forced to come to court to identify him. And all the reporters from the British press were there and they all went on about what she was wearing and stuff. But I knew what it was to have to sit in a room with this man who wants the attention, um, who's, you know not well yeah. and, and have to identify him. but she did look amazing You know, she'd obviously chosen her outfit really carefully and all that stuff I like Madonna a lot <laughs> so she's someone I'd like to interview but I know she'll never give an interview and she'll she, that's why she's making a film of her life where she has complete control
0: right have you tried to have you tried to get to interview you just know no, she won't no but
2: like she's someone like you know I'm, I'm going
0: to get her on this no 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 I won't
2: <laughs> I'm going to get her on
0: this you are going yeah, to get her on this yeah I'm going to get on this can when you
2: me? get her on I'll, I'll definitely come no I'm now. not
0: going to let you in <laughs> unless you get me sooty
2: <laughs> Come to the Epson Playhouse. I've got, I've got a
0: plus one. OK. <laughs> it's a date. At last, I've got you. I've got you, Samira. I asked Samira out at university, which she, then, when we were on, Have I Got News To You together, then brought up, the oh, not <laughs> <laughs> She said no. She said...
2: And you said, It was worth a try. Uh, and then went tr- straight on to the next woman and asked her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was my technique. And I have to tell you guys, doesn't work. <laughs> Whatever anyone tells you it's no good. Um, you know, can't you can't blame a man for trying, or a stupid little boy for trying. <laughs> can't blame a stupid little boy for trying. Yeah, let's go and watch City. That'll that'll make up for all those years of regrets. <laughs> if my wife. I can get Amanda Pete round to my wife's house, and I say we will we'll be with my wife's house by the end of this podcast. <laughs> Oh, God, why do we... And how was it reading the news on Channel 4? That So that must have been... That must have been a big...
2: It's not that big a deal. Come well. on!
0: Did you ever feel like just making something up and slipping in no, something, no, something no, that, no, that wasn't... Well, used? I had
2: a thing where, um you know, a friend would set me a word to right. work into the bulletin and I would get it on. OK. Like hot tub. <laughs> the hot tub of the caldera in this volcano that's exploding in Italy, oh, for example. Very good. Um, but, um, but, no, I, I'm... I think I think people overrate rate news reading, but it's quite fun. I did have Not my Jeremy den-
0: Paxman doesn't. Jeremy Paxman was oh, on this, know, and he I says newsreaders are. Oh, but, I know. Well, he he was all very rude about newsreaders. I know.
2: But I did. I mean, you know, you talk about anxiety dreams. The one real anxiety dream I've ever had um, was I dreamt that I had to read the news for a special bulletin to mark like a BBC anniversary, and I had to read the news in the Albert Hall,
0: Right.
2: and I walked into the Albert Hall. And I walked down, you know, the stairs with the, the, the organ is and everything. And I could see, I could identify, like, the Queen, the Director General, the <laughs> Prime Minister, my mother. Um, and then I, and I looked at the script, started to read, and I thought, you know, I've been chosen to do this. And it was gobbledygook, and I'm shuffling the papers trying to make sense of it. Um, that's the kind of anxiety dream that yeah. you have if you read the news, because there's nowhere to hide. But, as we were told when I was a news trainee by um, the wonderful Phil Ashworth, you're not landing jumbo jets. Doesn't matter. What's the worst that can happen? You just look an idiot, but no one's going to, you know, be injured or anything.
0: And did Channel Four care about if, like, the Queen died? Were you all prepared for if, like, a, a terrible thing, like an awful thing, like that? What will you, do, what will you do if? Well, in, in the BBC, you had to run. I used Ger- to. Do, I know. Jeremy Paxman had to run up to a different floor to get changed into the right suits from a cupboard. I don't know why they didn't just keep the suit near the news desk. <laughs> that's what I, That's the first thing I'd have done there
2: is a cupboard with Obit jackets in Right. Yeah. and um, I used to do rehearsals at the BBC yeah. we used to have Obit rehearsals where they'd have scenarios about which of the royal family had died in an overturned Land Rover in right. Africa or something
0: and you kind of <laughs> hoped to be Prince Andrew right
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> if it was Prince you Andrew from...
0: you go this is good news everyone this is and finally ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, poor old Prince oh lay, lay off Prince Andrew <laughs> when he's had a hard time <laughs> what's coming so is it? Is it is, have you got anything exciting in the pi- pipeline I'm, I'm always pitching more
2: documentaries I want to do more documentaries about pop music Yeah. possibly about some interesting women in pop music um, and there's um, I don't know Front row is quite exciting yeah you know getting interesting people on and uh, I don't know I don't want to say anything else really because I don't know it might not happen but I'm trying to write a book but I don't know it's, it's a weird time to be writing a book
0: yeah What's why is it a weird time for writing a book?
2: Because because of all the kind of cultural stuff, people yeah. are very. As I found out with Mary Whitehouse, yeah, people have strong opinions about what should and shouldn't be, opinions that should and shouldn't be discussed. Yeah. So, um, I don't know.
0: What do you want to discuss?
2: Well, I wanted to talk a bit more about Mary Whitehouse okay. and the culture wars. So <laughs> uh, that's why I made the doc. I thought I'll get that out there. And yeah. No one can, no one can.
0: But you know, you that. you're you're brave enough to take people on, aren't you? You don't care about whether what people think about that. There's, there are. It you know, I don't think it's. I think the the thing with Twitter is it's so you feel like a lot of people are. are, are that's I mean that's why Mary Whitehouse worked, doesn't it? Because you can just get a small group of people and get them writing letters to the BBC or tweeting to someone, and it feels like an avalanche. If if you, if every twenty opinions are the same, yeah. and one says no, it's good, and so it's just a small amount of people organizing for most of these things, and I think even the things that are really controversial. When you block a few people, I blocked a few people about one subject that is slightly controversial. Oh, is it a um, subject? No, it's not, it's like a subject. And, and and now I don't get any information about that at all. So it's, and I've, I wouldn't say I've blocked, I've blocked maybe 20 people about it. Um, and, uh, you know, and my life is good again. So.
2: Um, Can I say you found the right, you, you've got that, you, I really like your hair.
0: Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's too. do don't start flirting with me now. It's <laughs> you're thirty six years too late <laughs> um look it's lovely let's go backstage have a quick one and uh we'll, we'll have a, for, for, I've got to drive back mate. wish i wish I had the energy um, it's really lovely to see
2: you <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's really lovely to see you and i'm re- i think what the all of this stuff so amazing, and your career so amazing, and there's so much.
2: I still can't believe. I, can't, I don't know why he asked me on, because you've you had Paul Chuckle. Why would you invite me? I don't understand.
0: I got Paul Chuckle, and that's <laughs> it. I, I, it's, all, it's all downhill from Paul Chuckle. <laughs> no.
2: There's no I'm way really to. Sorry, go. very low-red substitute. For because Paul
0: you've, you've taken on the BBC at equal pay, you've done this Mary White's documentary, and all this other fantastic stuff we've just heard about. That's why you are here. Ladies and gentlemen, give oh, a massive round of applause. The incredible Samir Ahmed. <laughs> Look at that. They love you. In fact, one ticket left for next week, I think. So come along. See us online. Thank you. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Samira Ahmed. Thank you to Scamp Regard, who play the music in these titles. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. I'm indebted to Chris Evans, not that one. And and everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre and everybody who knows me. I'm very much indebted to the Backers of the Kickstarter campaign who this week are Teresa Ankin, Steve Paggioli, Adrian Stirrup, Cheryl Harris, Ewan Duncan, Martin Thompson, Damien Titchborne, Laffer, Claire C, Helen Previtt, Rob Fellows, Diana, Rex, Richard Alsop, John McCauley, Mr. P. Kenny, Mothy Bond, Roy Lake. Bob Shurunkle, Stuart Lee, Mark Granger, David T, Chris Jackson, Steve Webb, Titus Tabernacle, Morgan Evans, Sam Turnbull, Connor Mayer, Mike Pepper, Michael Anderson, Dennis, No Need, I Just Wanted the Season Pass, Jean-Philippe Desir, Kieran Walsh, I don't know if that's all one person, Jean-Philippe Desir, Kieran Walsh, or Jean-Philippe Desir and Kieran Walsh, and of course, Glenn. This is a Skype video to us on GoFastToStripe dot com production. Head to RichardHerring dot com slash gigs to find out if Rahul's is coming anywhere near you. Lots of gigs still to come, including the Edinburgh Fringe and another run at Les Square Theatre in the autumn. RichardHerring dot com slash gigs.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
0: Thanks for listening. richardherring.com slash gigs. gofasterstripe.com for all my books, downloads, all that sort of shizzle. Oh, yeah, I know all the cool words. And um, would love to see you on on the Can I Have My Ball Back tour if you can make it. Bye.